praying at the end there. Of like, I think this message that Elliot's going to bring this morning, not knowing too, too much about it, but um, um, I think like I had this kind of picture of like being like, um, uh, like, <laughs> like hit in the chest fight, um, but that it's not going to be like a hit from a fist, but it's like a strong one, um, but kind of like almost blows us off balance. And um, I don't know if that's. I'm going to just leave you with that. I'll see you next time. No pressure. Well, then, at Fano, it is a real honour and privilege to um, to be here and to be back in this community. Um, so, a little bit of my story. I um, moved to Wellington when um, I was um, 18. Um, I moved straight into the Goat Shed. Scotty joined a few years later. Um, I joined Blueprint a few years later and I was at uh, Blueprint um, for, I think, about kind of six years or so um, until, um, yeah, I got um, called uh, north, called north. Really sounds like God handed me a letter or something. Didn't work like that. Um, but before I went north, um, to Auckland. Um, uh, which verifiably sucks. Um, yeah, uh, um, but um, but but Blueprint has honestly kind of ruined me um, for any other church. Um, so I've kind of been a part of some different church communities in Auckland, but um, kind of haven't really actually settled anywhere. And most of my kind of um, spiritual life is kind of fed through the intentional community I I live in in West Auckland. Um, so yeah, so it is a real privilege to be able to come here and to. Um, to speak to you all um, this weekend because, um, yeah, I, even though I'm not kind of like actively a part of this community, um, I still kind of, I hold myself as a part of it. Um, and I, you know, I, I kind of carry blueprint um, in my heart, heart and my spirit. So um, it does feel like kind of being home and amongst friends. So, kill it. Um, cool. So, um, I um, want to tell you a bit of a story about something that happened to me a few months ago. Um, to get into the swing of things. So uh, I, um, I've just been on a sabbatical um, for three months, um, which is just a fancy way of saying that when you get work for a place for a really long time, they give you like lots of time off. Um, so I worked at Zeal um, for 10 years and um, was able to take um, January through March off. Um, and for part of that, uh, I spent a lot of time on um, Claire's Farm in Taranaki, um, which is this beautiful place um, uh, in uh, Midhurst, which is like a town in between uh, shitty town in between our two other like shitty towns um, uh, and um, and one morning um, at like about 9 30 in the morning um, you know Claire and I were sitting around the table um, and just kind of having a morning coffee uh, and had that kind of experience where there was a bit of a rumble in the jungle um, and um, yeah felt felt a little bit of kind of movement happening um, kind of down below uh, and um, yeah and I I kind of like acknowledged that this was happening, um, you know, stay present, mindful, um, and uh, and I kind of, I guess, slowly kind of released the cheek, um, uh, and I guess what I thought was a fart was um, a little bit more than a fart. Um, yeah, and so sitting there, and Claire was right there, and I just I looked up to her and I said. Hey, I just shat myself. <laughs> and she said, what? <laughs> no, you didn't. You did not. I was like, 
No, no, I did. Um, like, I thought I was going to fart, but I just shat myself. And, um, and I was like, I've got to do something about this. So I kind of like eased up off the seat. And um, yeah, as I stood up, she kind of looked at my behind and she was like, whoa, you, you did. <laughs> you shat yourself. Um, and there was this like big brown stripe um, kind of like um, oozing its way down my behind and, um, and then a, just a little moist patch on the top of the seat. So then I went, yeah, I went to the bathroom um, to kind of confirm um, what had happened and um, yeah, uh, it was the truth, I, I had not shat myself. Um, so I just wanted to kind of clear that, um, just to make sure that we were all on the same page, um, and that none of us are perfect. Um, yeah. Cool. So, um... You know, actually, I, I, and part part of the reason I tell that story is because I've heard it. I've heard so. Ants Watts, who is supposed to be here, um, but can't be here. Um, you know, he actually has a like one of his speaking rules is that he always begins with a poop story. Um, so that's just an honour <laughs> um, of Ants who can't be here. Um, all right. So um, today we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. Um, I'm, I'm going to do the Rob Bell thing, and um, we're going to have some um, we're going to have some fun on the whiteboard, um, uh, which is going to be cool, um, and it's going to be a, a little bit um, kind of crowd participatory. Um, I'll pull this. This thing's like we already there. All right, we're good. Um, okay, so we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the big story of God. Um, And so when we read in the scriptures, it says, in the beginning, God, right? This is Genesis 1.1. Um, now, I want you to tell me, um, what is God like? Just throw out some things. He is black and silent. Black and silent? All right. Everyone has different opinions. Um, what are some other things that God is like? Great and loving. Great. Great. Bright, great and bright, and loving. He is the creator of all things. What else? He is not blind. He's not blind. Okay. Um, well, Blueprint, you really have some. Um, I'm glad I'm giving this talk. Um, what else is God like? Self-giving. What was we had a Jesus? We had a self-giving. Self-giving. He is a dark, still night. <laughs> what are some of the characteristics of God? Love. Yeah. Love. Forgiving. Risk taking. Slow down now, people. <laughs> um, what were, what was after risk taking? Risk 
merciful, generous, what else do we have? Powerful, protector, He is feminine. Yeah. Did I write vulnerable? Have I done that yet? No. Masculine. What was that, Jess? Masculine too. Masculine as well? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm his, his, his image in that, out of respect. Um, uh, what else is God like? Kind. Just. Holy. Holy. He is creation. Good. Creation is female and the male. Fruitful. The word become flesh. Accepting, risk-taking, protector, powerful, holy, kind, just, jealous, funny, hairy. <laughs> so this is in the beginning God. And the next part of the story is God created the heavens and the earth. So um, this is from islands. This is <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful world. Um, and so from here, there's two ways to tell the story from here. Alright, so we're going to tell the first story and then we're going to tell the second story. So the first story is God made the world and then what happened? Then the fruit happened. Alright? And so uh, this is what it says in the scriptures. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye... And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So no one really knows what the fruit was. Some people like think it's an apple. Some people think it was a fig. Personally, I think it was a nashi pear, um, because they are disgusting. 
Yeah, that's right. These are polarizing sermons, guys. Uh, a mango. A mango? That would be great. Okay, cool. So in the second story, we have the fruit. And then uh, when the fruit happens, the, the message of the fruit is that inherently everything is bad and that the world is, is kind of broke. And so then from there we have this arc. And so a lot happens in the middle here. We have uh, the, um, the flood and then we have um, Abraham and we have the sons. Um, and then we have uh, the Exodus, Moses and the Exodus, and then the Promised Land. Uh, and then we have like um, what happens after the Promised Land? <laughs> we have yeah, we have like, the the judges, and then we have the kings, and then we have like the disobedience of Israel, and then we have um, the exile and the prophets, and then like the reunification of Israel. So kind of a lot happens in this kind of space. Um, <laughs> Um, if you want to know more about it, there's a book you um, you probably have read in a long time. It's called the Old Testament. <laughs> so it's all all I'm kind of there. Um, cool. And so then what happens here is we have Jesus, and Jesus is a um, middle class barista with a top knot. Um, no, he wasn't actually, but. Um, but, you know, we kind of like like to paint Jesus in our image, so, you know, that's um, what Jesus looks like. And so, Jesus comes, and Jesus said some nice things, but most importantly, Jesus died, and then he rose again. And in the telling of this story, why did Jesus come? Well, in the telling of this first story, God sent Jesus, and although he made you, he just can't bear to look at you anymore. And so Jesus came to convince you, to God, God to love you again, to remind you that the world is broken so you can get out of here up to where things are good with God on the Jesus rocket. And that is what it means to have eternal life. So there's a, prob a few problems with the story. Um, so for those of us that grew up in the church, uh, for those of us that grew up in this church, this, this is potentially the story that we absorb. You may not have heard it this kind of explicitly, but it's the kind of story that um, as children we've kind of grown up and it's kind of like what's seeped into our bones. For those of us that didn't grow up in the church, then maybe this is kind of vaguely what you thought Christians believe. There's a few problems um, with the story. One, it doesn't really make sense on lots of levels. Um, so one example is like, if Jesus conquered death, then why do we all end up as ghosts? <laughs> it, it just kind of seems like that's not really conquering death, that's just kind of like us awkwardly not talking about it while we all like some mojitos in some cloud somewhere. The second problem with it is it's not actually what Jesus preached. I know that might sound like shocking, but it's not even what he said, and it's not actually what the early church believed. The third problem with it is it's just a crap story. It's just a really, really crap story. Like, if you sit with this story, 
for a moment. The story that everything has gone to crap. Jesus had to come to convince God to love me again so I can get out of this broken and dying planet and go up to heaven. There's something about that that just seems like incongruent with your spirit. It's just a crappy story. And so for me, this is kind of the story that I believed, I think, up, up to my 20s. So I grew up in a, in a church and, um, you know, on the whole, really good. But I think this is the story that kind of seeped into my bones. And so I was, I was a little like the man in this parable that I'm going to read. Where's my water? Fair warning, this is not a parable from the scriptures, but it's a parable nonetheless. A man decided to build an archway over the gate of his property. He dug up good quality clay and ground it into a fine paste. He formed the bricks and fired them in a kiln. He built up each side of the arch, bonding each brick to the next. But as he laid the bricks for the crown, the tightest curve of the arch, the bricks would suffer under their own weight, fall to the ground and shatter. He built the archway again and again, each time firing the bricks for longer and making the mortar stronger, but still they would fall. The man broke down in despair and cried, it's impossible, I cannot do this any longer. Maybe I was foolish to build an archway. Then a wise man passed by and asked, Sir, what is your trouble? The man replied, For many days I have been trying to build an archway over the gate to my property. But each time, just as I near completion, it collapses and I have to start again and I'm ready to give up. Ah, the wise man replied. Though I can see that you are disciplined and your bricks are well formed and fired, you are missing one thing. While all bricks are important, there is one on which all else depends. Then tell me, the man said, how do I find this one brick? The wise man stroked his wise beard and said, you will only know when you don't see it, and went on his way. A little confused, yet with little hope, but to heed the wise man's words, the wise man thought again. But this time, as he neared completion, he took a step back and looked upon his work. He gazed at the top of the arch, at the crown's tight bend, and saw a uniquely shaped gap between the two climbing curves. I have found it, he exclaimed. I have found the brick that cannot be found. The piece I knew was missing only because I didn't see it. The man quickly formed a keystone from clay and bonded it at the arch's apex, and his archway was complete. So I was like this man. Though there are lots of bricks and there are lots of truths to the story, yes, God made the world, yes, man sinned, Yes, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, he rose again. As a structure, my faith could never hold its own weight. Something vital was missing. A keystone. And I only knew it because I never had it. And once I found it, the whole structure could stand. And that is the second story. So how does the second story go? In the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. And then what? And he called it good. He called it good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then he made man and woman in his likeness, in the likeness of love, in the likeness of redeemer, in the likeness of refuge, of feminine, of masculine, in the likeness of eerie, of the funny, in the likeness of faithful, forgiving, accepting, protector, risk-taking, powerful, just, kind, holy. He made people in his likeness. And so then from here, we have this ark that stretches from creation into eternity of this good story of a good world with good people and God's good image. And so that means when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes in this story, he actually has something to say. He spends, he spends three years preaching. And what he preaches is this message of kingdom. He says, good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, sight for the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In fact, he says quite clearly that the message of kingdom is why he was sent. Kingdom's like a word that I never really heard up until my early 20s. I spent my entire life in the church. Meanwhile, Jesus says the message of kingdom is why he was sent. And so when we view Jesus' death, Jesus' death ends the story and rescues the world from its corruption and decay. And Jesus' resurrection brings us back and inaugurates <coughs> this kingdom here on earth. And so as Jesus prays, and as he rises again, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the story goes on. And so what this means is that when we come to Jesus in this story, firstly, we are reminded of our inherent goodness, of how he made us in his image. We are reminded of how we have sinned, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we are reminded that the world, the broken, is being made right. The crux of this story is that you 
and the world is worthy of redemption. Not that we're like escaping some like dying planet where everything's falling apart and we're like escaping on some rock ship somewhere else, but actually that God loves the world and that he's redeeming it. Take a moment and like look outside. There's rolling hills and there's trees and there's sun. There's birds chirping. God made a good world. Look at your hand. Look how he formed you. Your skin and your veins and the blood that courses through. He formed you and he is redeeming you. And so this is why when anyone has a genuine new experience of God, what is it that they feel? Their first feeling is not this. It is this. It is God awakening his love in us and then revealing to us how we have deviated from him. His kindness leads us to repentance. So those are the two stories. Now this isn't um, just some kind of like, I guess, theological musings. I really believe that the story we believe has a monumental effect uh, on how we how we see God and as a, how God sees us and as a result of how we see God. And to kind of explain that, I want to want to tell the story of a friend of mine. Um, so I have a friend who, at twelve, um, suffered sexual abuse from someone in their church. Um, and then a couple of years after this happened, um, this man was old and he was on his deathbed, and. This church, um, the people in this church said to um, her, um, you need to go to the deathbed and you need to forgive him um, for what he has done um, because he is dying. And if you don't forgive him in your lifetime, then you won't go to heaven. And so this man, the kind of perpetrator, had apparently repented and himself was kind of destined to go up to this other place. Exactly what that meant for this 14 year old girl at the time. She didn't really know, didn't really resonate with her. And so, of course, at 14, she, she didn't have the will to be able to genuinely forgive this man two years after what happened. And so, what was the effect of this on her and how she viewed the world? Well, she felt that she was in a broken world broken at the hand of her abuser while he was destined to escape and get a wonderful life elsewhere. It was a double bind. The only way for her to be a whole person was through this final ticket out. But the only way to get this final ticket out was to have to forgive someone right now and she didn't feel like she had the will for her to do that. And that final ticket out, that was the only way that she could receive joy or justice. There was no healing for her in this lifetime. 
So of course, the people at the heart of this, they all have genuine concern for her eternal soul, and they absolutely wanted, wanted to do right. So what did she do? Well, she went to the deathbed and she said the right words. Which now put her in this triple bind. Because not only could she only escape to heaven by forgiving the guy, which she couldn't do, she now had gone and just faked the forgiveness. Which now God was angry at her about for faking the forgiveness, and now she's in this kind of like confusing theological knot. And so the effect of this all was that the story she lived in for a long time was that God's kind of modus operandi was to remind her of her sin and her greatest hurt with the only promise that she could one day escape elsewhere. It was a picture of a punitive God distant to suffering and arbitrary in his assessment. Because you ate the fruit, Jesus had to die. Now you must say the right words and you get to come up to heaven. Like the archway, the building blocks of the story aren't in themselves false. But as a structure, it can't hold its own weight because it's missing that keystone of the kingdom, the very thing Jesus preached and proclaimed and inaugurated. Telling the Jesus story without kingdom is like trying to find your destination through a half-finished map or trying to find meaning in a half-finished painting. My friend says that if there was ever anything that just threatened to destroy your faith, it was that old, bad story. The picture of that story that got, the picture of God that story painted, she said, I didn't want to know that God. If that's who God is, I'd prefer to spend an eternity in hell. I'm not worshipping that. Which kind of makes sense to you, right? That's why that that's first story, just something about it is like, just feels incongruent with our spirit. You know, the scripture says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. But actually, that eternity is coming here and redeeming all things. That eternity is not us escaping out of here. So it took her a long time to realize that that's not God. And if, if any of that story resonates with you, I just want to say to you straight, that's not God. It took her a long time to realize that God sees her hurt and enters the broken story. That he's interested in her healing and having a healthy life. In this, in this life, not some future cloud life. That he gives her moments of feeling sun on her face and says, you're going to be okay. That she can get freedom over time through forgiving her abuser. That it's not some tick on a checklist, but learning to heal and let go. That man looks at their outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So there's a story in the scriptures that maybe most succinctly captures this radical love of the second story I told. And it's the parable of the prodigal son. So many of us have heard this, but never get told. So here we have the son who basically goes to his father and says, it's, it's better off you were dead. Give me, give me my share of the inheritance right now. Which, in Jewish culture, is the equivalent of getting a third of the father's wealth. So imagine you have this picture of the son leaving with this huge, just like, bag of wealth. Leaving his father with the intent of never, ever seeing him again. So this rejection has, it has parallels to Adam and Eve in the garden. A child rejecting the good world the father has made for them allured by something else. 
So things don't go well for the sun, as they, you know, didn't go so well for us, trying to live separate from God. You know, childbearing pains and weeds. <laughs> and so the son, he squanders every cent in a far country and gets a job feeding pigs. So remember, this is a Jewish man, so who was stricken of porkers. Um, so that's kind of the lowest you can go. And so the son realizes that the hired workers of his dad have it better than him. And so humbled and humiliated, he makes his brave move to return to the father, who he previously said was dead to him, and to say, just you know, hire me, hire me as a worker. So he's stuck here in this bad story. And what happens when the father sees him? Does the father say, you're such a mess. Where have you been? What have you done? I'm so disappointed in you. You're lucky that I have to let you in because I made you. You can stay for a couple of nights and then you're out again. I'll let you back in, but with these conditions. No. The father commands his servants to bring the best robe to put around his finger and sandals on his feet and to prepare a feast because the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. You know, this story is commonly known as the prodigal son. Prodigal means to spend freely and recklessly. But I think this story is more about the free and reckless spending of the father. See, the son's spending has a limit, but the father spends more. He offers his love more freely and recklessly. The son reaches the bottom of himself, but the father's love is boundless. I think there's an important truth to capture here. Although the son may have rejected and disowned the father, the father never rejected or disowned the son. Although you may have rejected a life with God, he never rejected a life with you. Never, 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 never has rejected a life with you. He's always been there waiting. Why? Because that is the nature of God. He loved you first. You are his beloved. You have been and you always will be his child. His affection for you is not dependent on what you do or what you don't do, or even whether you recognize him as your father or not. You can't change the mind of God about you. He is eternally running down the road toward you, wanting to drape a robe over you, to put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and to throw a party, and to say, my son is home. My daughter is home. Now, we know there's also a second son. He's a bit of a prick. <laughs> um, jealous of his father's welcome, the father's welcome of his destitute brother. And so this son, he still thinks that he has to earn the love of the father. But the father says, son, you're always with me, and everything that I have is yours. 
And the story ends in a quite interesting position where the brother who had been on the outside is now on the inside. And the brother who was on the inside is now on the outside. Jesus is in effect saying, if you think you have it, you probably don't. If you're sure you don't, then you do. The encouragement is that for those of us that feel completely unworthy, like we're just stuck in this bad story, that you have nothing to fear from God. I heard a story a number of years ago um, about a person that travelled, I think it was to Mexico, um, to do some missions work, and they went to a church service on a Sunday. And um, at this church service, uh, it was attended by a, a bunch of women who were prostitutes. And um, during the worship, you know, these prostitutes sung their lungs out. And this person, Christian person, stood there and, um, and just prayed and said to God, God, how, how could they sing to you like that? How can you hear that after everything that they've done? in the past week. And God, and they felt God cut through their thoughts and say, how dare you judge my children? This is the one time when I silence my angels so I can hear their song. There is nothing you have to fear from God. So the parable of the prodigal son is this story. It is the kingdom story. It is a story of God making a good world with good people in his good image of their rejection and disobedience and then of him meeting us in, us in our need, drawing us back, reminding of us, us who, who we truly are and redeeming our lives and our world. Putting all things to right. This is the way of the kingdom. God redeeming the earth. That is the gospel. God redeeming you. I love this quote from um, William P. Young, who's the author of The Shack. He said, Nothing so dead, God can't grow something living in it. That's the gospel. To finish a little parable, again, not one from the scriptures, but it's cool. The master became a legend in his lifetime. It was said that God once sought his advice. I want to play a game of hide and seek with humankind. I've asked my angels what the best place is to hide in. Some say the depth of the ocean. Others say the top of the highest mountain. Others still the far side of the moon or a distant star. What do you suggest? Said the master. Hide in the human heart. That's the last place they'll think of. What we're going to do now is I'm going to pray. Um, we're going to take a break, and then um, I've got a, got a kind of couple of questions, but in the process, it's for us to reflect on. Um, before I kind of do that, if for you right now, there's just like a resonance, you know, that this is kind of like 
it's something and there's a sound that's resonating in you and you you feel like you just want want some prayer particularly if there's stuff around that kind of that bad story and learning that bad story from um from the church or from christian places um then um yeah uh, I'm, I'm keen to pray for you. Um, Claire really felt felt this, um, so she would love to pray for you, um, kind of during the tea break. Um, but yeah, before I pray, when we go into our process groups, um, a couple of questions um, for us to reflect on. One is, um, what story are you living in? Are you living in the first story I told? Even if you kind of cognitively are kind of thinking something else in your spirit, what story are you living in? And the second is, I had this image last night and during worship of, of us all kind of holding our hands out gently um, and that God wanted to gift something um, to some of us. Um, a treasure or a taonga, um, and that something is to do with a different story or a different identity. And so that's, that second question is, what might God be offering to give you? So first one, what story are you living in? Second one, what might God be offering to give you? Cool. I'll pray. If everyone wants some prayer, we'll be over here and then we'll take a break. Good God, you made the world and you loved it. You made us and you loved us. And we have in our own disobedience walked away from you, but you never walked away from us. Your created image still dwells within us and with every person walking this earth. We thank you, Jesus, for the work that you have done to come to preach the good news of kingdom. And we thank you for your death that ends the bad story, your resurrection that inaugurates and brings us back into your good and loving story and into the redemption of all things. We ask God that for each and every one of us, that as we hold out our hands, you would give us the thing, the treasure that we need in this moment to realign our spirits, our hearts, our minds, to our identity in you and into your good story. You are a good God. And we thank you.